Tonight I wanted to talk a little bit about just the nature of the prophets, the nature of prophecy, uh, what it does for us. You know, a lot of times we can clear the false uh, perception and the false teaching about the end times, the false teaching about the role of the church, the false teaching about, uh, you know, what to do with Israel, what not to do with Israel. The word is very pointed about Israel. It's very pointed about the teaching of Israel, what role they play in the end times, what role they play in the thousand-year millennium. And there is no mistake about it. Uh, if people tend to want to have a false doctrine about any of these things concerning the end time, um, if they would saturate themselves in the Word of God, they, would, they must come to a conclusion. Either Israel has a place, either the prophets are true, or something is amiss. And I hope that statement will be clarified as we go on. Tonight I'm just excited. You know, when we're going through the minor prophets, it's easy to go from one prophet to the other, to the other, to the other. And that's what we're doing. We'll be the prophet Obadiah tonight. Uh, but first I want to continue to kind of lay the groundwork, lest we forget Israel's role through the ages. And... You know, Schofield had a saying, he said that the, the, the Bible in, in itself has a Jewish coloring up to the cross. And what he meant by that is that when we see the prophecies that are so true to Israel, that God's faithfulness and how he treats the apple of his eye and his faithfulness, then we get a glimpse on how God treats us. Because after all, we don't support the root, but the root supports us. In other words, the covenant promises to Abraham are the relying factor of our solidity. And we'll get into that as we go. Israel through the ages. Wow. Uh, we looked at Israel's past history, for example. You know, we've, we went through Joel. We saw Joel's prophecy. Uh, we saw the fact that Israel was destroyed several times. And I don't mean annihilated, I mean destroyed it's by the Assyrians. They were taken, Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians. We also see that Judah through Ezra and Nehemiah and so forth, later prophets that were restored to the land of Judah. Uh, we see that uh, in, in the earliest writings, for example, Deuteronomy 28 says pointedly that Israel would be dispersed. And God always, we must understand, before we speak, I'm so excited tonight because, you know, once in a while it's kind of like a capstone of all we've been through. We understand that prophecy is always God's long-suffering. Judgment is always the last resort that God resorts to. He is constantly shouting out in love through the prophets of his own people. Now, if God does not spare his own people but allows them to go on judgment, what do you think he's going to do with the nations? You need to understand that. Israel's past. Wow. You know, you call you call Abraham or Abram at the time. Again, we out of an idolatrous nation. That's that's important. Through this man, he changes his name to Abraham, which is very important. That is a very important point in the Bible. Abram means a father of some. Abraham means the father of many. God changes Abram to Abraham and gives the promise. You can see that in, in Genesis 12, 15, 17, and so forth. You can see where he starts picturing the, the, the cross of, of, of Christ, of course, very early in Genesis chapter 3. But there's a pointed thing about Abraham and, his, and, and Isaac. Okay, We must understand, because there is a spiritual battle today between Isaac the seed and Ishmael the illegitimate, and it's raging today. So let's get back to when, when God called Abraham out. He gave him his promises. We must understand this first. He promised him not only the land that he promised, that his people would have it forever. A land that is much bigger than they have it today. In fact, I was reading the other day, you can fit about 36 to 39 Israels in the land that they're ultimately going to uh, have. This is God's promise. And now we're saying just give them a little bit more so we can have peace. No wonder God is in Joel chapter 3 is angry 
at the world that are dividing up their land. So Abraham gets these promises in, in, in early the part of Genesis, and then we see something spectacular through Isaac, through the seed that God is going to produce, not only the land, but the Messiah. God says, I want you to sacrifice your only son, the son in whom you love. You find that in Genesis 22. So Abraham and Isaac go up Mount Moriah. Okay? And it's interesting because he tells his servants, you stay here by me and the lad go up yonder and worship. We'll come back to you. But we, you know. So as they get up, Abraham is ready to sacrifice Isaac. Very, very important. The Bible says in, in I think it's chapter uh, verse 6 or so, that Abraham, or Abraham and Isaac went up together. Okay? And he went to sacrifice his son. As soon as he was about to sacrifice his son, he was stayed by the angel of the Lord. And he turned around, and what did he see? God's sacrifice caught in the thicket. Very important. Because God is the one that solidifies the, sac- the promises to Abraham. It's not a man-made deal. It's not a man-made covenant. God solidified it with not only his word, but his promise. His word is always synonymous with his character. So if we have that down... We start looking at the prophets saying, wait a minute, there's, there's an end time coming, Israel's going to be a part of it. So what happened to the church age? So, so they come back into the land, Ezra and, and Nehemiah, they come back to the land and they're, they're kind of uh, dispersed among the land and they have their, their, God always works through a remnant. Then all of a sudden we have the prophets prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes, and then we have the last prophet, uh, Malachi. And then there's 400 years of silence. And what that means is there was no prophetic utterance to the point of God's covenant with the people. 400 years. And all of a sudden, uh, the prophecies of Malachi and other prophets come onto the land when John the Baptist comes on the scene. So people think, well, wow, he must be the Messiah. But he says, no, I am not the Messiah. I am one that your scripture said, that's one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. That's who I am. But there's one coming after me who I'm not worthy to stoop down and lose his sandals. Oh, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Through that statement of the last prophetic utterance of the Messiah before the close of the Old Testament, so to speak, in that one statement, he just fulfilled all the types, the, the tabernacles, and, and all, the, all the types of the, the uh, uh, sacrifices and everything in that statement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So now we have the church age. Jesus Christ lives that perfect life. He goes to the cross. He's crucified. He's rejected by his own people. He's crucified. He's buried. Three days later, he raises from the dead. He spends 40 days on earth talking about the kingdom of God and showing himself to his chosen people, over 500 people at one time. Uh, Sir William Ramsey and other people, uh, Simon Greenleaf as well, say that that's the most attested fact in human history, and it is. Um, there's great works on that. But anyway, so he, he rises from the dead. He's there 40 days, shows himself infallible proofs, the Bible says. And then he ascends to the Father. The Holy Spirit comes down, and we have the church age. So the church age is what the age that we're in, or the day of grace, or you know, whatever you want to call it that way. But there was an interesting thing that happened about 40 years or so, minus a few years, after Jesus ascended into heaven. That, just like he predicted in 70 A.D., through the Romans, remember, and this is important. We have the Romans, again, on the scene, dealing with that, that, that land and that time, uh, came in through Titus and desecrated the temple. Tore it down, just like Jesus had said. And what happened? The Jew became a wandering Jew, went to every part of the globe. So now we have the church age. This age has continued now for almost 2,000 years. But within this time, we see another amazing thing that's happened in the 20th century. May 14th of 1948, the Jews come back to their homeland, just like God said they would. They have won every war that they have been into. They should not have won it because God fought for them. And, And so we go on through. 
So what's going to happen at the end of this church age? Well, we have the Bible stating emphatically that God has separated the church and Israel. And for a time, he has, has kind of set aside his time clock or so, his dealings with Israel, so to speak, although they are back in the land, he's fulfilling his word, but yet he's opening the day that people could come to him freely and have their sins forgiven them through Jesus Christ. When that age closes and God comes back for his own in the rapture or the catching away of his saints, we can see it in Acts 15 and in other places, Amos, we just got through with the prophet of Amos and so forth. When God takes away his bride, when Jesus comes for his bride and takes them away, his, his dealings with Israel start to enact. Okay? We have that we, and then we go into this tribulation period where this time of seven years. Uh, remember, we went back to Daniel chapter 7 and so forth, where, where Daniel says there's going to be 70 weeks of years. 69 of them have passed. So we need to focus on this last seven year period, which through the prophets say that it's going to come after the church age closes. We saw that with James in chapter 15 of the Act of the book of Acts and so forth. So the, the church, you and I, the true church, the remnant of the true body of Christ is snatched away. Uh, can you imagine what that's going to do not only for America but for the world? Wow. And we start the seven-year period. Well, how come Israel is so much a part of this first three and a half years? Because they have gone, according to Hosea, they have gone for centuries without a priest or an ephod or a temple to worship in. This Antichrist, this man that comes on the scene, is going to make peace with Israel. A false peace. Are you with me so far? Am I making this a little clear? Because this is fantastic. This is what the Reformed theology is not going to tell you. Okay, we'll get into that briefly in a minute. So, so we have, we're with Jesus and fulfillment of, of John 14, 1 through 3. He, we're, he's taking us to the Father's house. We stand before him. We're, we're getting uh, rewards for the things that are done, good or bad in the body and so forth. He's taking us to the Father's house. What a joyous time that will be. But here on earth, there's something else going on, and Israel is a major player of it. So, yeah, the first three and a half years of this seven-year period where this Antichrist comes on the scene, and uh, he, at first he comes through, he's a diplomatic uh, dictator, if you will, but he's going he's to make it to where Israel will have this quote-unquote peace. The world is crying out now. Uh, so, like I said last week, there's several sources that, you know, the world's crying out now for, give us a man, we need peace. We, we you know, they're doing desperately for peace. Israel, uh, one of the more, as far as the walls are fortified uh, all over the place, they're thinking about building a wall between Israel and Jordan because they, they know that Jordan is going to be a strategic part that Iran and that area up there is going to come in through. They're very weak military and whatever. They're very fortified. They're not living in peace. This man, this man of sin, the lawlessness, the man of lawlessness is going to come in, make false treaty with Israel, and Israel is going to go ahead with their plans, with their temple, and you know things are going to go as they had hoped. But then, at the end of that three and a half years, something miraculous is going to happen foretold in the prophets, foretold by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's called the abomination of desolation. This man is going to actually go into the temple and he is going to desecrate it and claim himself to be God. That's an apex of the fact that God says, that's it. That's it. And the next three and a half years, again, are called by Jeremiah and other prophets, the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, if there was no Israel, or the church replaced Israel, that would be kind of an erroneous uh, title, wouldn't it? Jesus himself promised his disciples that they would be on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, if the twelve tribes of Israel no more because the church has taken over, that also would be a false statement. Then all, everything's going to break loose. 
Israel's going to suffer its worst persecution. Um, we're going to start seeing judgments coming down. This Antichrist breaks the treaty. He is abomination of desolation. And uh, we see that uh, God's going to have 144,000 witnesses witnessing. You know, God never leaves himself without a witness. We're going to see the seal judgment start opening up. The seventh seal opens up to the trumpet judgments. The seven trumpets open up to the bowl judgments. And the Antichrist is going to reap havoc on the world. But let me tell you, at the end of this three and a half years of the time of Jacob's trouble, something interesting is going to happen again involving Israel. And we'll get that when we get into Zechariah chapter 12 through 14. God is going to intervene for his people Israel, who is being absolutely persecuted intensely. The persecution now is going to see nothing compared to this. And God will rescue a third, a third of his people Israel. He will bring them under his rod of judgment and cleansing into his fold. I believe personally that he, that will answer the fact where Isaiah said he's like a gentle, uh, he's, uh, he carries the lambs. He's a shepherd that... Uh, he is tender, but yet he's, he's going to cause the judgment, the cleansing to his people. Then he's going to turn and on the nations and judge the world in righteousness. And in fulfillment, again, of the Jewish scriptures, he will set up the, the throne of his father, David. And for a thousand years, we will know what it's like to have Perfect reign, perfect government, anything that uh, that goes astray will be corrected in righteousness. You know, you read in the Old Testament and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and stuff, God enacts justice. He said, whenever you go to judge somebody, you do it justly. I don't care what their status is. The poor and the rich, the blind, it doesn't matter. We're going to see that in the millennial kingdom. And all this will be fulfilled. And yet we see all through the, the scenarios that we set up tonight, Israel... Israel, Israel, Israel. I want to read tonight before we get in. I, you know, one of the greatest prophetic uh, parts of, of the scriptures of, of a major prophet, if you will, a big prophet, is Jeremiah. And you can read about, in Jeremiah 25, about the prophecy of the 70 years of captivity in Babylonia. For Babylonia, excuse me, by the way. You know, I was reading this today, chapter 25 of Jeremiah, and I thought, you know, I am reading the scriptures that, the, that Daniel read. That is amazing. See, because to me and to all Bible-believing Christians, and the Bible says that this is the Word of God, it's as fresh now as it ever has been. It's eternal. It doesn't get dated, you know. Oh, the scriptures are dated. We'll get into that. And by the way, I do have uh, the documentation here for you, Leon. Please don't let me forget that. We have people today that are saying that, again, like we've talked about, and we need to understand this, folks. We're in the last days, and, and we have to get prepared for anything. We have people that are having huge ministries I'm not talking, I'm talking huge ministries, huge movements that are saying, no, these, this, this is outdated. We need new revelations. We need new prophets. So, so when you're reading Jeremiah 25, for example, you just, just remember that Daniel was reading about the seven-year captivity prophesied to him. Prophet, or it was it was told through the prophet Jeremiah. Just it, it gave me goosebumps because that's God's word, you know. But I wanted to look at really quick tonight, and and I looked at a few things uh, that I'm really excited about. Look at you know Jeremiah chapter 23, and I'll just point out a few things. I'm going to read this out of King James because it's <coughs> just sort of pointed. <clears throat> Chapter 1 says, or verse 1 says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastures, say the Lord. People say, well, you know, you, you can't read these things because you, you, you're trying to get, you're trying to allegorize things, and you're trying to spiritualize things, and know what we're not. What the Word of God does, it gets specific prophecies, and a lot of times these prophecies are far or near and far 
We can get spiritual gleanings out of this that if read rightly with the rest of the Word of God, that's the important part. Never try to read prophecy by itself. But read prophecy collectively as a whole that will guard us from taking something out of, of you know, um, the Word that's not really intended there. But he says, Woe, the end of the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. He says, verse 2, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. Look at verse 3. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whether I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Now before I get into verse 4, on, let me tell you something. This has not been fulfilled in the days of Joshua. That is not what we're dealing with here. The context of the scripture is always in the latter days. You know, the prophecies that have happened to Israel through the prophets and the minor prophets will be fulfilled in the last days. In Joshua's time, we read Joshua 18 and so forth. Joshua is always pleading, how long are you going to be slackened to go into the land that the Lord your God promises you? And we know that they were driven out of there through sin and through idolatry. But look at verse 4. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, verse 5, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Look at verse 6. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. That is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot get around it. You know, when you look at when you look, has, has Israel ever dwelt securely? Have they ever dwelt without fear? No. Verse seven. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall dwell, or excuse me, that they shall no more say, "The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt." But verse eight, the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries, whither I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Listen, for he's saying here that. It's going to be no more where people say the Lord brought these people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. That's why they keep the Passover. That is a memorial that God had, had given to them. And he's saying, in effect, that you can always go back and remember the faithfulness and deliverance with no matter what, what comes your way, no matter the hardship that comes down to you, as I delivered you out of the Red Sea, and that was now a memorial, thus saith the Lord, in the days to come. I'm going to do something much, much more profound. That I'm going to deliver and call back all my people, not only from the north country, but from every country I have delivered them. And that is happening as we speak. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. Let's go over to verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets, that prophesy unto you, they make you vain, they speak a vision of their own heart, and not of the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17, they shall still unto them that despise me. The Lord has said, it shall, you know, you shall have peace. Now they say unto everyone that walketh out the imagination of his own heart, no evil will become upon you. What are we seeing today? We are seeing a movement today that the prophets, are, these are called prophets, and, and that's what they call themselves. They call them prophets of the Lord. They're saying, no, 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 judgment isn't coming. What's coming is we must get everything ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must rid the world of all ills. We must feed the poor. We must do all these things and, and get rid of all social injustice and and everything else, we need to make this pave the way before the Lord can come back. Is that what God says in His Word? Absolutely not. Jesus said, you do not know the hour when the Son of Man cometh. You need to watch. You know, that is not what, these, what, what the Word of God says at all. <coughs> 
Look at verse 18. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, the whirlwind, verse 19, of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind, and it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. Verse 20, for the anger of the Lord shall not return until he has executed, until he has performed the thoughts of his heart. Now look at the last part of verse 20. In the latter days ye shall consider it perfectly. In the latter days. It doesn't take any more than going through the prophet Daniel to know that the latter days means exactly that. In the latter days, we have an area of what they call eschatology that Israel is the focal point for. We're, we're, with, we're with Christ. Our position as a Christian, according to Ephesians 2.6, is, is up with Christ. We've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are secure. We're looking for the blessed hope, the rapture. We're looking for it to be, to be taken away. And people say, well, that's just fire insurance. You know what? I don't have time for that, and neither should you. The Word of God is very plain on what is going to happen. The focal point of these prophets here is that God is going to do something in the last days that is going to make the exodus out of Egypt just a memorial. He's going to call. He's going to call not only a people of his own. He's going to call an ethically pure people. He's going to call people that have never changed their race, never changed their, uh, their status as I am the God of Israel. He says over 250 times. Even when they're blatantly unfaithful, I am the God of Israel. Because you know what? They're coming to him and it's going to be the faithfulness of of their Lord. They're going to turn to Him in wholeheartedness devotion because He is the one that loves them. He is the one that cares for them. So, you know, I think verse 18, who stood in the council of the Lord? And we know in verse 20, this whole prophecy is taken in the latter days. Look at verse 21. I'm almost, almost to, to the end here. Bear with me. Verse 21, I have not sent these prophets. Yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. 22, but if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. I am a God, verse 23, at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off. Can any hide himself in the secret places that I should not seem, saith the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? Wow. God is speaking today through his prophets. And you know what the fact of the matter is, is we have people today that are rewriting prophecy to fit their own, their own agenda. They're not only teaching doctrine that for itching ears, but they're rewriting prophecy. God did not do away with his people Israel. God is showing the world his immutable fact by his nation of Israel. I want to just, I, I searched many, many different translations today to get the, uh, to get the wording that I, I thought was um, congruent with, with the attitude we're looking at here. I want to read you something out of Jeremiah chapter 25, starting verse 29. I just want to read five verses here. Again, talking about the last days. Verse 29, For behold, I am beginning to work evil in the city which is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I am calling for a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. You know, if Israel, if God is chastising, is going to punish Israel, if God punishes the apple of his eye, and corrects them. What's he going to do for the for the world? You know, the apostle says the same thing. If we get barely get saved, what's going to be for the lost and for the sinner? God does not show favoritism. So he says, "I'm going to punish you 
And I'm going to send out a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth. Look at verse 30. Therefore prophesy against them all these words and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall roar mightily against his fold and pasture. He shall give a shout like those who tread grapes in the winepress. But his shout will be against all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 31, a noise will come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy and an indictment against the nations. He will enter into judgment with all mankind. As for the wicked, he will give them to the sword, says the Lord. Verse 32, thus says the Lord of hosts, the old evil will go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirling tempest will rise from the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 33, and those slain by the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, nor gathered, nor buried. Their dead bodies shall be dung upon the earth. I want to close with that wonderful thing by reading two verses out of Isaiah 66 about the last days. I'll just read these to you. Isaiah 66, 15 says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and His chariots will be like the stormy wind, to render His anger with fierceness, and His rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by sword he will the Lord execute judgment upon all flesh, and the slain of the Lord will be many. You know, we, you and I, and the church will go forth and gaze upon the dead bodies of these rebellious men and nations who have stepped over against me, have committed anarchy, have committed iniquity, have committed spiritual anarchy and stepped way over. And God describes it this way, For their worms shall not die, and the fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be abhorrence to all mankind. Now, looking at those scriptures, I just wanted to lay the groundwork of that. First of all, judgment is coming. But if Israel is not a part of this judgment, then the prophets must be mistaken. These nations are going to be punished by the way they have treated Israel. These nations are going to be punished by their wickedness. Wow. We don't have time for it to get into it tonight, but Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 are quite a prophecy. In fact, they're probably one of the most pointed prophecies in the Bible. Some people have it at, at the, uh, the beginning of the tribulation. Some people have it during the, the middle of the tribulation. You know, I, I believe that it's going to be kind of a precursor, if you will, uh, because the Bible talks about this man of sin, this Antichrist, that will march to the Southlands, and when he gets news of the northern invasion, he turns right around and marches straight to Jerusalem and up. Now, nonetheless, we're talking about the 70th week of Daniel here, but, but judgment is coming on this little piece of real estate that's, what, 900 square miles? South of New Jersey, something like that? It's amazing how God is pinpointing this. From Eastern Europe to Russia, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, uh, all converging on this little land. Boy, if that's not true, then the prophets must have been mistaken. Can't you see where they can't prove these things wrong, so they just say simply, we need new prophets. We need new revelations. Or, in fact, we won't speak of it at all. I was, I was listening to a gentleman today, a, a prophecy expert. They were asking him, what, what's the reason why you don't hear these things in the pulpit anymore? Well, number one... There's those that are in this replacement theology that say that this is not going to be the case. There's other ones like the Daniel clan and these, these emergent church leaders that say, no, 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 we're not looking for Christ, we're not looking for judgment, we're looking to make this world a place where Christ can come back and set up his kingdom. It is not the office of the church to do that. It is the office of the church to snatch those out of the fire that are heading to hell because their sins are unforgiven. They have not received the gift of life. That's the idea of the church and the office of the church. You read that in Jude and all through the New Testament. We are not here as a cleanup crew to clean up the ills of the world so Jesus can come back. That is a satanic lie. 
So it says, what are those five reasons? It says, well, number one, pastors and, and, and people that teach the Word of God don't have a solid grasp on the prophetic truth of the Scriptures, so they, they just don't teach it. Number two, they don't teach it because they're worried about offending somebody. People don't want to hear about judgment. Israel sure didn't. The false prophets said they, they prophesied peace, peace, when there is no peace. That was one of the indictments that Jeremiah had in his day and so forth. So they don't want to, they, they don't want to offend. Number three, they're, they're worried about losing income, losing money, because people don't like that. Uh, for example, we were in a, in a situation one time that, that the harshness of teaching the Word of God was too harsh, and we were placed with somebody that wanted to teach Philippians and the joy of the Lord. Well, you can't have the joy of the Lord until you know the God of judgment. So those three points, I don't remember the other two, but the other two trail off of that. Do you, are you kidding me? But that's exactly what happened to Jeremiah. They put him in the stocks. They put him in the judgment. Don't talk to us anymore of this. Don't talk to us of judgment in the last days. Well, the Bible has pointed things to say. Tonight, well, it's a fitting introduction to getting it to Obadiah tonight. If you want to turn there. Obadiah. The doom of the catastrophic end to Edom. These prophets spoke in the name of the Lord, and they were not shy. You know, uh, uh, we all know that Jeremiah said that I'm not going after he was slapped, put in the stocks for a night. Can you imagine that? Stocks were painful. They left him in the stocks till the next day. He was thrown in a dungeon and, and so much more. Then he said, I can't do this anymore. I've been, I've been a appointed man. I, I've done everything that you've told me to, Lord. I've gone to these people. But the Lord in graciousness said, what a while he did. A couple days later, in my estimation, it so amused him. He could not keep it in. He must tell of the impending doom and the impending judgment that's to come. And that is exactly what the Spirit of the living God is within us. We can't shut up. We can't spend our whole life going, well, you know, hey, I'm a Christian, and go our own way. The Word of God is, is poignant. And there's judgment coming. Obadiah was such a prophet. When we get to Nahum... A few prophets now, we're going to see that Nahum was sent specifically, he prophesied of the doom of Nineveh. 100 to 150 years after Jonah, which we'll get into just uh, probably next week. Jonah, we saw the, one of the greatest revivals of, of all the Bible. How could that be? Only 100 to 150 years later, it was destroyed. We look in our own country. How could this happen? The demise of this country is, you know, the, the, the officials that they elect, the leaders that they elect, all, all through the Bible, the, the places and the kingdoms that have had evil emperors, evil kings, the people followed in judgment. The abominations. Look at what this nation has done. We are in trouble. People don't want to hear that. That's why people go to these other, other, other you know, places that they don't need to hear that. Why no? But I, I just don't want to hear it. Well, we need to hear it because we need to understand that the end is very soon. I had one famous pastor I was listening to several months ago, and, and he uh, told his audience, he said, if you don't think that the rapture, the catching away, is very soon, he said, you're deluded. Look at the signs around you. But by the way, take this as point blank. It's got to happen to some generation. Okay, every single generation that has said the same thing, they have been given the grace of God and allowed other people to repent. It's got to happen to some generation. But we see the signs and we see what's happening in the world. We can't get around it anymore. This is not a leave it to be a society. The church is going down. The professed Christian church, God always works in a remnant. That is also the shout of the prophets. God always works in a remnant. And a remnant means the few 
collective true within the bigger collective false. Obadiah, wow. About 840 BC, which doesn't mean much other than the fact that it was on a, he was probably the oldest of the writing prophets. Think about this. 840 years before Christ. Give or take. We're talking about the destruction of Edom. What was it? The people of Edom came from Esau. Remember the brother of Jacob, Jacob and Esau, Isaac's twins? Remember how that came about? As they came out before, I should say, before they were delivered. Rebecca says, what, you know, their mother's like, what is the struggle I have in me? And God said, there's two nations within your womb. They are struggling. So the struggle that began in the womb of Rebecca, it's in Genesis chapter 25, by the way, elevates to the struggle between their descendants, the Edomites and the Israelites. First, Edom refused to aid Israel in the wilderness. We see that in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 and on. Second, later, during the time of Israel's invasion, probably by the Philistines and also plotted the destruction of, of Jerusalem and so forth. In this short letter, we see the judgment of Edom, the first 18 verses, and the restoration of Israel in the last two or three verses. Wow. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. And we must understand, too, in the, in the times that we're in now, God made a pronouncement. And it's, and it's as valid as today as it was when he made it. It goes well with a nation that honors the Jews. And it doesn't go well with the nations that don't honor the Jews. At all. It's been true of every single nation. It's true today. Again, uh, I love this country as much as anybody. I mean, I really do. My sons have fought for it. We've talked about that before. But I cannot deny the fact that we have turned away, and we are turning away from Israel. In verse 2, God says, I will make you small among the nations. You're greatly despised. In verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? You know, God will completely overthrow all pride and all arrogance. And last week we looked at, for example, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12 is where God really starts. In fact, put your finger there just for reference real quick. Uh, because it's important, if you want to follow the prophetic strain through some of these prophets about what, how God is going to judge and why he's going to judge. For example, and you can follow it, I don't have time here, but Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12, for example. It says, when you come and appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? The trampling of God, the the you know the being, the acting in place, the desecration of His people, and so forth. Now flip over to chapter two, verse twelve, and this is where, as taken out as a springboard, we can see where this for the day of the Lord, chapter two, verse twelve, folks, shall come upon everything proud and lofty, and everything lifted up; it shall be brought low. And that starts a prophetic strain of the day of the Lord. We get into Armageddon and, and, and so forth. That right here, God is saying the same thing about Obadiah. And it, 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 
It broadens to uh, a more broad part of prophecy. But nonetheless, pointedly here, Obadiah was sent to produce uh, a prophetic word that Edom, you're going down. You can read also Jeremiah chapter 49. You also get the same thing. By the way, in verse 3, how it says, The pride of the sea to you dwell in the clouds. He's talking about probably Petra, which was probably their safe capital, so they thought. By the way, Petra is discovered by archaeologists in 1812. Pretty much uh, preserved very well. So we see these things that not only, again, the prophecy of the near fulfillment has a prophecy of a greater fulfillment when God will judge the nations. But no, no less, though, he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. And you say in your heart, who's going to bring me down? Look at verse 4. Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. I will bring you down. If thieves have come to you, if robbers by night, verse 5, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? What he's saying here is there's going to be nothing left. You know, let me get ahead of myself a little bit, and and maybe when we get to later verses, we have a few minutes. Do you realize that that people, as as much as they can understand from prophetic utterances and everything else, all traces of the Edomites disappeared around 70 A.D., you know, somewhere in that area. But... The land that was occupied by Edom will become the land that Israel will not only inherit, but it is ultimately theirs. It is interesting. So you're cut off. Think of verse 6. Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom? Let me uh, let me just read you something from Genesis chapter 36 real quick. You just stay there. Um, you know, you just... You just can't get around it. Uh, the Word of God is, is living and active and sharpening a two-edged sword. We see again the fact that just we see the genealogy of Esau in Genesis 36 just says now this is the genealogy of Esau who is Edom. Edom has a remarkable place in the prophetic word. Just like God said it was. Together with Moab. It's the scene of the final destruction of Gentile world power in the day of the Lord, uh, involved in that area of Armageddon and so forth, time of the Gentiles. What do you do with these prophecies if they're no longer valid? You get rid of the teacher. You stick with the word of God and you, you get rid of the teacher. You do not listen to those who think they have one up on the prophets. God says he, say, he gives the secrets of his inner counsel to the prophets. So let's get back to Obadiah. He says in verse 9, Then your mighty men, O Teman, I don't know, I've searched out several things. I know that uh, there was a note in the Schofield Reference Bible that it's, it was a place known for wisdom, probably worldly wisdom. You know the Apostle Paul says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. You can't hide anywhere. You can't dwell securely anywhere. You can't hide from me anywhere that I'm not there. We read that before. So your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Wow. God means business. Look at verse 10. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. 
Again, violence against your brother. You could definitely go back to Genesis 25 and follow that story. I was going to read it, but we don't have time here. Read about the struggle. That not only happened in the womb, but happened after they were grown, happened after they parted, and ultimately to the nations, which goes on a much wider scale, involving the day of the Lord, the last days, and judgment. God has his seed and God has his prophetic word that cannot be broken. And yet these people are breaking it. These false teachers are breaking the word of God. No wonder people don't understand the prophets. No wonder they don't understand the end times. We hear so many people say that what's going to happen in the end times? Where are we going? Where is this world going? We know something is wrong. Everybody knows something is wrong. I don't think there's a person 10 years and older that doesn't know that something is wrong. It shouldn't be like this. For us, as Jan Markell says, it's falling absolutely together. The world is falling apart. But to us who know the God of the Scriptures, we know where it's going. Israel. You want to know where we are on the time clock in history? Israel. You want to know how this world is going to go? Israel. Do you want to know? You read so many things. I had a gentleman that I heard on a, a, a website one time, and he was saying that he was amazed at this uh, pronouncement that Ahmadinejad, the prime minister at that time of Iran, was saying at the UN. And, you know, lo and behold, look at Psalm 83. He lists there the people that will be a, a problem. Wow. Is the word not pointed or not? Let me turn to it real quick. Psalm 83, man, it is just powerful stuff. Do not be silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. I believe this is a prophecy of Psalm of Asaph. He did 12 psalms, by the way. I think that this psalm was Psalm 50, a prophetic, but that's my, my opinion and others as well. He says, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies, again, your enemies. What did Jesus say to the Apostle Paul, or Saul at that time on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God always identifies and stands in the gap of his people. God does not put his people before him so they can take the bullet. God stands always in front of his people, always identifies himself with his people. He's always the one that we can count on. He's always the one that's faithful and true. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. Listen to this. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and have counseled together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. Well, wait a minute, we can talk about any nation, right? United States, well, whatever, okay? No, he says, not only let us come and cut them off from being a nation, he tells you right there that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Remember Israel was Jacob, remember? Wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and he wouldn't quit, and his socket was, was out of place. And he says, I'm not going to let go until you give me a blessing. We could go all the way back to the prophetic strain, how God is so true to his people. But listen to this. So that the name of Israel be no more. We're going to wipe them out. By the way, that is what Iran's uh, alternative, or I should say, uh, their angle is now. Okay? They're blatant about it. God's angry. They're blatant about getting rid of God's people, and so are other people. God is angry. But look at this. So he says, after cutting off the nation of Israel to remember no more, look at verse 5. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gabal, Ammon, Elimelech, Philistine, the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria, has also joined with them, and they have helped the children of Lot. We know that the children of Lot, we know where Moab came from, right? So, 
The interesting thing about this is we have a dictator over there that wants to get rid of God's people using the same thing. He says, we want to cut off their name. We want to drive them into the Mediterranean so Israel is no more. God is angry. And Edom is in there. Was Edom destroyed? Yes. Wow. Wow. I got a few more minutes. Back in Obadiah. So in verse 10, the violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off. What? Forever. God is serious. In that day, or excuse me, in the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. Even you were as one of them. They stood by. You know, God uh, says an amazing thing. You know, and he used it, he, he did it, he exemplified it through, like, you know, David, for example. David writes this in Psalm 35, and this is what pleases the Lord, and anything that apart from this, God is very angry at this attitude. David writes, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him? Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me for evil, for good, to my sorrow, my soul. But as for me, these people rose up and they were wicked. They wanted his demise. But David said, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. I paced about as though they were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one as who mourns for his mother. I was like this in the day of their adversity. That's the attitude that God has. So when we see that, when he's saying this about Edom, Edom stood by and, and would not allow the wilderness wanderings the Israelites to go through. They would not provide for them. And also we see as later on as the years roll on, I, I think probably Syrian captivity, maybe, and, and some other things, but we know that they watched the demise of Jerusalem several times and they stood off. They didn't give a hand. In fact, they even applauded. It goes ill with the nations that, that turn a deaf ear to Israel. And we see it through so much of the prophetic word. Wow. Verse 12, but you should not have gazed again on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have, you should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Verse 13, indeed, you should have gazed on their affliction, should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among those who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. Now, it's interesting, after this pronouncement, that verse 15, by the way, which is the starting of another prophetic strain, a strain of the day of the Lord. By the way, Obadiah is the first of the writing prophets to introduce this phrase, the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord is upon all the nations. It is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. Verse 16, as you drink on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. God told Jeremiah, I believe it's in Jeremiah chapter 24, 25, I'm going to give you a cup, and I want you to make all the nations you go to that I send you drink it, and they will drink it. It's the cup of judgment. It's the cup of warning. It's the cup of, of the Amorites, if you, if you, and the Amalekites, and all those in the Old Testament, you see that God always resorts to the fact that their cup is getting fuller and fuller and fuller. 
And when it comes to that brim and it overflows, there's nothing left for a God of justice and righteousness to do but enact judgment. The day of the Lord. Now we go from Edom being wiped out, from Edom being those who dwelt securely, of uh, being against their brethren, of rejoicing their calamity, of going up even into the church age, so to speak, of, of descendants or something. You know, they say that Herod was an Edomite. Herod, Herod was a kind of a descendant. Uh, yeah, we know his demise and so forth. But, we, you know, these have perished off the land. All of a sudden, God switches over to the day of the Lord. It's upon all nations. It's near. As you have done, so it shall be done to you. Look at verse 17. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. <laughs> you cannot get away from the last days. God is going to deliver Israel. Is God done with his people, Israel? No. No. And again they say no. Wow. Deliverance. Look at the middle of verse 17. And there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possession. This is, this is a key part of this thousand year reign. This is a key part of the fulfillment when Christ sits on, his, on the throne of his father David. And by the way, that's that, in that strain that God said to David, he said, I will not leave a lamp unlit. Because I have sworn to David the sure mercies of David. Even though we went to Solomon, we saw the demise there. Solomon, his son, Roboam, the kingdom was split. But God always had his prophetic strain. He promised to David, one will be on your throne. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Very, very pointed about where we're going What's going to happen? By the way, let me preface this, and I'll, and I'll end uh, real soon. <laughs> this is exciting. If you want to know where you're going to be when Jesus Christ comes back to deal with his people Israel and the nations and to set up his glorious kingdom, if you want to find out where you'll be, go to Revelation 19, verses 11 and on. You will be with him, coming back with him. The armies of heaven coming back with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and witnessing this phenomenon that we're studying here. That we see that uh, it can't be broken. The word of God cannot be broken. Can you imagine that? What a glorious future we have. That just is amazing to me. He says again in verse 17, But on the Mount of Zion there shall be deliverance, there shall be holiness, the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Look at verse 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain at the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And as we said before, all traces of the Edomites, as far as we can tell, disappeared by about 70 A.D., by about the time of the desecration of the temple and thereabout. But nonetheless, this is what God said would happen. Wait till we get to Nahum and read about the downfall of Nineveh, one of the most bloodiest, cruel civilizations ever. Is it too bloody and cruel for God? It's nothing for God. It's stubble for God. This world has not... Again, this world's going out of control for those that don't know God. For us that know God, it's perfectly going exactly the way God had intended. He's in control of everything. That should bring so much comfort. Look at verse 19. The south shall possess the mountains of Edom. The south. I love that. The naked in some translations. It's the south. It's much like an area, if you look again, like we said last week, the map of the United States, how Texas kind of goes down. It's the south end. The Negev was an area that of great importance for Kadesh Barnea, for example. And the spies went up to Kadesh Barnea and looked at, out at the land and they came back and so on and so forth. But what I think is the south, again, verse 19, shall possess the mountains of Esau and the lowland shall possess 
Philistia. That's right now. You know where that land Philistia, uh, the uh, uh, Gaza Strip? That area in there. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Galilee. This is absolute victory. And this is going back. We can take these promises all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 15, 17, and so forth. They're going to possess that land that God had promised to Abraham. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel, verse 20, shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Shephard shall possess the cities of the south. Verse 21, Then saviors or deliverers shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And I love the way that Obadiah ends his prediction or his prophecy. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Just as God in all of, of history, all of time, from the time that you were in him before the foundation of the world till, the, till all eternity, where God is, we are going to be. Where God is, his people is going to be. They're the apple of his eye. And that's going to be the wonderment of the earth. Can you imagine? These scriptures will be around. Can you imagine at, at, at the, the millennium kingdom and everything that's gone on, people pick up God's word and read the prophets and read, read what the prophets say. And they're going, Lord God, you did exactly what you, were, what you said you were going to do. You're so faithful. God, forgive me for the time I've wasted and not looking at the word of God and it is true every single word of it is true we don't have time for the false teachers we don't have time for the false prophets we have time only for those that are going to take God's word as what it is truth every single word of it is truth I'll end with what I've written in my Bible and I believe this though it does not seem like it now my God will reign over all the earth Cam, do you want to pray for us? Thank you, Father, heaven, for preserving these writings miraculously by prophets. When we look back, we see that what they have spoken was fulfilled and is being fulfilled, and in the future will be fulfilled mm. because of your faithfulness to your, to your children. We thank you for the freedom to study your word and the truth of it.